everyone, welcome back to a special episode of Bias Check-In. Hi everyone, thank you for tuning in. So for this special episode, the controversy around abortion, fueled by medical concerns, religious beliefs, attitudes towards sexual permissiveness, political power, violence, and women's employment. In our previous episode that um, we released on May 16, Roe versus Wade versus Us, we talked about the leaked opinion of one of the justices um, published by Politico, and we speculated, talked about what some companies were doing in response to those news to prepare. As we all know, as Friday, the ruling was made official and public. And everyone has been trying to understand what that means for the next days, for the next months, and for the years to come. It's hard to overstate what the Supreme Court did last Friday with overturning Roe v. Wade, the landmark ruling that made abortion legal in the U.S. nearly 50 years ago. But before we go there, let's give a little backstory for anyone that doesn't know. The legality of abortion was confirmed in 1973 when the United States Supreme Court struck down a Texas statute that prohibited abortion procedures, no matter how medically urgent they might be. In its decision, the court acknowledged that it cannot rule as to when life begins, since even those in medicine, theology, and philosophy have no consensus on the matter. And one thing that I always like to mention about the 1973 ruling was also that the figure of Roe, who was represented um, as a plaintiff under a pseudonym to, to protect their privacy throughout the entire process, mm-hmm. has also been very controversial because they were not the perfect plaintiff we mm-hmm. we as a society usually centered abortion conversation around when a woman's body has already been violated by someone else is when we acknowledge their right to self-determination mm-hmm. and Roe once their identity was made public was a queer person who had had several procedures, who had had several children. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's always been debate about this. Just wanted to highlight that it hasn't been moot between 73 and last Friday, um, Mm -hmm. as we're about to go into. Now, when it comes to the political argument for overturning it and the justice's decision, six against three, basically came down to abortion is not explicitly named in the Constitution. Therefore, it is not a constitutional right. Therefore, each state, but not its female residents, can do what they want to do. And as we all have heard probably in the news since then, Um, Some states were very ready for this with so-called trigger laws. So laws that went into place with the speed with which you push a trigger, um, which outlawed all terminations of pregnancy within hours of the announcement on Friday. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. and with the attorney general of the state of Texas going as far as declaring June 24th as a holiday for his office to celebrate this decision. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are one of our returning uh, listeners, you know I love me statistics, numbers, and all things to anchor what we talk about. Um, if you want to get more numbers, um, an article that we found to be very informative is America's Abortion Quandary, uh, published by Pew Research Center um, and authored by Bashir Mohammed, Hannah Harting, Anna Schiller, and Kelsey Beveridge. And it goes from like looking into Republicans versus Democrats, pro-choice Republicans, very liberal Democrats, and where they all stand. At the time of recording, we've already seen some state courts try to, at the very least, pause or slow down the implementation of these trigger laws. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah. But in the near future, most of these laws will take place and start being enforced. Yep. Um, Another question. um, Well, if that's been taken away from us, what else is the court going to do? Are they going for other rights. Miranda rights are a whole thing right now. They don't have to say them anymore. Um, So Justice Thomas wrote that he wants the court to re-examine president on cases dealing with contraception, same-sex marriage, and same-sex sex. And my most visceral response is, please get a life. What the heck do you care for? And why do you need this sense of control of other people's bodies and decisions? Like, why? WTF. I think we can all take a polite guess on why do they care. Mm-hmm. But um, the argument that so-called Justice Thomas is pushing is that Roe v. Wade was argued and defended not so much on the basis of the morality of terminating a pregnancy, but on the right of individuals to privacy Mm -hmm. when they access medical services, in which case abortive services. And so the same privacy functions would then be at the basis of the rulings and the court cases that have established precedent for having access to contraception same-sex marriage, and again, even same-sex sex. Mm -hmm. To give you just an example, in the United States, in Virginia, until I think maybe a year or so ago, a very old law was still in place that outlawed any form of sexual act that was not missionary and established for the purpose of procreation and procreation Mm -hmm. only. And technically a cop, if you were otherwise engaged and they could see in your house they could break in interrupt you and arrest you Mm -hmm. because technically that law was still in place yep so that whole virginia is for the lovers just the married kind then cool um yeah that crime of fornication also included it being illegal to have sex with the lights on But my very quick sources tell me that the Virginia House of Delegates 
repealed it in February 2020. Another thing that came out and was very apparent of where we are with the Supreme Court as of today is that Justice Roberts came out with a concurrent opinion saying that they should uphold Mississippi's 15-week ban and the rest of the conservative side of the court said, no, we're good. We're just going to overturn Roe v. as it is. And yeah, so having a supermajority being very conservative, they can and will reshape American society and culture. We both grew up in societies that have been heavily impacted by the interaction of religious mores, Catholic mores, and the state, even though at least I think we can talk about both Italy and Mexico are, on paper at least, not Mm -hmm. religious forms of government. And supposedly neither is the United States. Um, But in God we trust. The reason I'm bringing this up is because the most vocal opposition to abortion has historically come from the Roman Catholic Church and from evangelical Christians and other Christian denominations um, working through activist groups such as Operation Rescue, one among many. Um, And many of them hold that because a Christian tenant is that all life is sacred, there should never be abortion at all. Um, While some others acknowledge some exceptions in the case of rape, incest, or grave danger to the life of the mother. So what I was hinting at earlier with the situation in which the mother's body has been severely compromised and violated already. Mm-hmm. Which I understand helps us think about all the scenarios in order to appeal to some sense of humanity, but still having to do the what if, what if it incest, what if it's rape? It's just bodily autonomy, people. But we also found this paper on the British Journal of Sociology that talks more about Christianity and moral reasoning, and they put it very well most importantly they capture with very eloquently what i've been thinking so traditional christianity promotes opposition to abortion using three distinct modes of moral reasoning through deductive moral reasoning by the christian worldviews implication that abortion violates the sanctity of life and its rebellion against god's design through authoritative moral reasoning by appeal to Catholic dogma, and through consequentialist moral reasoning as a means of control over sexuality and as a means of confining women's activities to the home. The first part, please understand that I am atheist. So talking about faith and talking about God's design is just not how I function. But... The second part about trying to limit a woman's body or confine them to the home tracks a little bit in history in my mind. Again, if we think historically, you weren't supposed to engage in 
activities that would possibly result in procreation until you were married. Mm -hmm. And at that point, keeping you busy and procreating was your job. Mm -hmm. And having a lot of children in a lot of society also meant that you had more hands to work for you. Mm -hmm. So the family and the head of the family would legitimately benefit in very material direct ways the woman be pregnant as often as possible. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, there's the Religious Coalition for Reproductive Rights, formerly known as the Religious Coalition for Abortion Rights, uh, bringing together Protestants, Catholics, Jews, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, who want to make clear that pro-life voices are not the only religious voices in the abortion debate. Um, They go on to have slogans such as like supporting individuals in making their own moral decisions and standing with them as they struggle with the very real complexities of life. And while people of all religions anguish over abortion, most feel this is a moral decision one a woman must make for herself in keeping with her faith, her beliefs, her conscience, and most importantly, her own personal situation. Almost as if saying, hey, we should consider all the potential variables involved in the discourse was such a radical concept. (laughs) But um, I will say, I've shared this before in um, off-the-mic, off-the-record conversations, I do see a little bit of hope with these voices, again, coming from a very Catholic background myself, hearing people that do uphold their faith, do uphold certain dogmas, Mm -hmm. and still are willing to see the situation and acknowledge it. And one of the voices in this debate is Catholics for Choice, Mm -hmm. um, an organization of Catholics who are both pro-choice and faithful Christians. Yes, that is possible. And they're very involved in the life of their parishes and their communities. Also founded in 1973, and they actively lobby for women's reproductive rights in Congress, in local legislatures. And again, if you think, okay, but this is probably just a fringe group, they're just a few, most Catholics wouldn't agree with that. A 2020 Pew survey found that 56% of Catholic voters think that abortion should be legal in most cases, despite the official position of the church hierarchy. And again, I've named this is something that is, however thin of a silver lining, is a silver lining I'm very happy and reassured in seeing. Um, And I want to also share the story of a friend Um, as many of probably our listeners, everyone else has been doing since Friday, is reflecting on what this decision means, what it means for each of us on a very personal level. And um, I think my friend put it very beautifully in saying that while she shares in the Christian faith, she is um, married to a pastor, and they love their God and they love upholding their gospel. 
it is a religion that calls us to love, not to hate. Mm -hmm. So seeing the frankly obscene rejoicing on Friday and the following days is the furthest thing from scripture, even if you were someone who abides to scripture. Mm -hmm. um, because we understand that we're fallible. And so who the heck are we to judge others? Um, and I'm very happy to see that there will be communities like theirs that continue to hold space for people, no matter what individual beliefs may be. Talking about faith and loving each other, not loving each other. We know that there have been extreme pro-life activists that have engaged in series of violent attacks on abortion clinics and doctors. I don't want to go there with this episode. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, go look it up. But it's these extreme attacks of violence when a person is either providing a service that, in my opinion, is very needed for society or a person who has gone through all the things in their head to be there and that's their choice absolutely and again if you choose to do the research on this we're just not willing to go there in this episode please do so with a warning like we're not exaggerating on the trauma that you would be witnessing i do want to also very much thank um, anyone and everyone that volunteers chooses to work chooses to give their time and resources to these spaces because again they can be incredibly unsafe mm -hmm. in seeking services or in offering them mm -hmm. um, and I've known volunteers to physically put their bodies between someone seeking a service and someone who decided that again because their religion preaches love to spend their weekend hurling insults at strangers minding their business. I know, for example, my mom volunteered to help people get from their cars to the clinic when she was in college. Thank you to anyone and all who does that volunteer work. And then that also brings me to the point of the question of whose voices should count in the decision to terminate a pregnancy to have an abortion and that's also incredibly charged mm -hmm. because again you brought the example of well if we're talking about religious voices pro-life voices are not the only ones but they are in a lot of spaces the loudest mm -hmm. and pro-life activists in general often portray the pro-choice movement as viewing pregnancy too individualistically treating abortion too lightly there are a lot of narratives about how someone might lightheartedly decide to terminate pregnancies because everyone loves giving a shock to their system and going through that process right it's just the same thing as getting a money they're just gonna keep doing it it's like if it was the easiest and most simple method of birth control yeah, it, it's just such an insulting and degrading view of others. Mm -hmm. um, and they also associate the movement with the so-called sexual revolution, 
considering abortion, equating abortion and birth control. Mm-hmm. Um, and the pro-choice side just stands for the aut- autonomy, the ultimate autonomy of self-determining women and people who can be pregnant in making bodily reproductive decisions. Full stop. <laughs> that is the part that I, again, in my own limitations, I have the hardest time processing because it is a necessary service. My position is that I personally would like to think that if I was ever faced with that choice, I would do everything in my power to continue a pregnancy. So to an extent, I guess I am pro-life, but it became so charged because I would never impose that very personal choice that I think theoretically without knowing the implications that I would make, I would never impose that on someone else. Mm -hmm. Because of self-determination, because you understand that other people have other choices and other lives, and you can't choose for them. So why not just let people do to each their own and just give them access to it just in case? But coming back to our beautiful outline, we've talked about political charges, we've talked about religiosity and how that drives it. Econ, economic effects of abortion, access. Just having access to it. Not necessarily engaging in it, not having a punch card, just knowing that that is an option. Mm-hmm. Professor Myers wrote childbearing is the single most economical important decision most childbearing people make we know all this because of decades of research on how abortion bans hurt women research that myers along with 150 other economists outlined in an amicus brief to the supreme court in dobbs versus jackson's women's health organization the Mississippi case I was referencing to earlier, um, which then is responsible for upending Roe v. Wade. Um, But they give us a number of stats. So, for starters, abortion access, again, access, reduced teen fertility, and increased women's college attainment. In other words, allowing teens to have access to these resources allowed more women to attend college and to pursue post-secondary education. These increases in attaining degrees and education post-secondary were concentrated specifically among black women who had much larger decreases in teen fertility than white women. And this is at the core of then the discourse of keeping it real. Those of us of higher socioeconomic status, of higher availability of resources, will always have access to the medical care we need 
it brings it begs the attention of who is being targeted the most mm-hmm. by these policies and the intersectionality of impact but we'll get to all that um legalizing having access to it um black women's rates of high school graduation went up by 1.3-1.5%, college entrance by 4%, and college graduation by 10%. And I don't think we need to spell it out for anyone, and we are not the first ones to mention how education rates are foundational for your career prospects, for your financial independence, for the support that you can bring back to your community, to your family, the incredible rippling impact that this has to the rest of your life. The other thing that is so impressive is that a lot of times people think, again, the discourse is if we give access to abortion, people are just going to keep making this choice. We're never going to have children again. Most people taking advantage and accessing abortive services already have children. And children born to women with abortion access had lower rates of poverty, had lower rates of receiving public assistance during childhood, and that was primarily due to a reduction of living with single parents. Mm -hmm. In other words, the very same people that are banning abortions and making them less accessible would then have less to complain if they just let us self-determine on all of those social security recipients, SNAP recipients that they love to vilify once these people have the children that they were forced to have. And again, the children born to women with abortion access are also statistically more likely to graduate college, less likely to be single parents, and less likely to need or receive public assistance as adults. So you could very well disrupt those self-fulfilling prophecies, life cycles of crime, of lower education, of having to provide these services to people by just giving them access to to services that very well increase their financial independence and gives them the option to make choices for themselves and there's also the argument that we were talking about um that stephen levitt presents in the first iteration of freakonomics Mm -hmm. that when abortion services are accessible Mm -hmm. criminality rates also lower Mm -hmm. so in a very bleak sense of humor way it's almost as if conservatives are banning abortions because otherwise they're going to actually have to come up with a political agenda because they're not going to be able to argue against anyone anymore. Many, many long-term studies looking at outcomes of women who were unable to get an abortion versus those who did. Other things that we want to look at are, for example, women's labor force participation. We talked about it in our other episode, but just horning it in. Abortion access is a major force that has driven women's labor force participation. 
Nationally, women's labor force participation was around a 40% before Roe. It went up to like 60% right before the pandemic. We know pandemic, a lot of women had to take off, whole thing. Um, but abortion ban, the abortion ban could thought art or reverse some of these gains. Using data from the Turnaway study, the landmark research that compares outcomes over time for women across the country who received or were denied abortions, found that six months after they were denied an abortion, women were less likely to be employed full-time than those who received an abortion. The difference remained significant for like four years after those women were denied abortions, um, a gap that affects employment prospects even further into the future. This is also in a country that does not guarantee paid maternal leave. There are no protections for it. Mm-hmm. Unpaid maternal leave, if someone is able to plan for it and has the financial means to engage in it, it's only protected at the federal level for 12 weeks, mm-hmm. meaning that an employer could require you to come back when your baby is three months tops. Mm-hmm. It, that's assuming you worked until the minute the you went day. into labor. Yeah. And that then means that childcare is needed, that someone else needs to be employed to support you that you may or may not have family that you can rely on Mm -hmm. so it makes perfect sense to me that you're less likely to be employed full-time and that you have to not only work to support yourself and your child but also to be able to afford the care that your child needs Mm -hmm. as well as the fact that again and it's worth mentioning with so many states being at-will employment states, Mm -hmm. it is really hard to prove that someone was terminated because of their pregnancy or because of performance issues. Just throwing it out there, not saying that is always the case, not all employers are evil, Mm -hmm. but that is a possibility. Um, On this point there's also um, a notable mention I want to make which is the mommy project which helps women and parents who left the workforce to take care of their children to re-enter it and try to bridge the gap in gains so quick shout out to them and the wonderful work they do because historically the types of jobs women get will be more restricted and their career aspirations will be limited. Mm -hmm. Being deprived from the autonomy of choosing significantly affects what type of jobs you can get, uh, often steering them to part-time work, lower paying occupations, occupations that afford more schedule flexibility because who's gonna go running and take care of the kid or taking them out of school, appointments, yada yada. The initial expansion of birth control pills, abortion care in the 70s in the U.S. um, shows us that when women do have a little more certainty and control over their family planning, they do make choices differently because all of a sudden they have a choice. Mm -hmm. Um, And this can also lead to more occupational segregation. 
So women's overrepresentation that we still see in certain fields like healthcare, teaching, again, lower paying jobs, which reduces wages in those fields, even accounting for education, experience, and location. And again, adding a note that even when the birth control pill became more available, abortion was more available in the 70s, it was still rooted in incredible abuse of women of color, incredible medical torture, and involuntary sterilization to benefit the white workforce and Mm. to benefit the white woman in career. And then we're going to do that for minimum wage. That's what we're settling on. Well, yeah. All of this would negatively affect income, the occupational segregation, women taking time out of the workforce, receiving less education, all hurt women's pay which is already lower on average than men's. Let's let's just stay there for a second, still, today. One study found that young women who got an abortion to delay an unplanned pregnancy for just one year had an 11% increase in hourly wages compared to the mean. Research found that legal abortion access for pregnant young women increased their likelihood of entering a professional occupation by a whopping 35%. So, one in three. If existing abortion restrictions went away, and this is previous to last Friday, women across the U.S. would make... 1600 more a year on average. Lost income doesn't just affect women who have unwanted pregnancies, but it affects their families, their existing children, the whole system of that one person. And that brings me back to the whole point of the misnomer that is to call someone pro-life mm-hmm. when it comes to this decision. Mm-hmm. And we've all seen the posters, the memes, the infographics of, well, if you're pro-life, then what about, like, when do we stop caring? What about the children that are already here? What about the millions of children that are in the foster system? The millions of children who are at risk of entering the foster system because their families don't have the means to support them to the bare minimum standards that we as a society have settled on. Mm -hmm. Um, And so almost as if this is about control and not actually being pro-life. An argument that we found, again, very bleak, but very real and highlighting even more so how this is not a women's issue this is a societal issue this is an issue of violence against everyone um you know we love ourselves a good reddit moment we were looking not only at the research the statistics but also at people's very raw reactions in the moment um and a man posted on ask women on reddit would you prefer that your partner um, to choose you or your baby 
in the instance where it is not medically possible to save both. Mm-hmm. And that is a conversation that everyone who loves someone who can get pregnant has, needs to have, and shouldn't be a thing. But in a lot of states, that will now be considered an abortion to choose to save an existing person's life, which, again, is what makes my blood boil when we're talking about being pro-life. Mm-hmm. Um, and at least from the comments, the consensus among a lot of the respondents was, please save me. Choose me. Listen mm-hmm. to Meredith Grey. Pick me. Mm-hmm. And understand that however traumatizing and I don't want to disrespect the loss that can be unwillingly having to terminate a pregnancy, you will still have a spouse. You will have the person that you first fell in love with and you can adopt and you can have another physical pregnancy if it is safe for you to do so and you don't lose the person you love. Mm-hmm. And again, naming also the silver linings, um, in Canada, a law was passed relatively recently where medical providers actually are obligated to always prioritize the mother's life. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, a pregnancy can be had again, an adoption can be had, a surrogacy can be had. Mm-hmm. But we haven't figured out how to bring a mom back quite yet. And it also still highlights why are we asking, if we're assuming this is a heteronormative couple, why are we asking the men? Why are we not asking the mom in the medical forms Mm -hmm. before the moment comes? The same way that we would ask about organ donations. But, you know, all rhetorical questions. With all of this, I just made it very bleak. There is a lot that we can do. It is paralyzing. We are being inundated with content over content over content from all kinds of sources about what to do or not to do, where to donate, not to donate, what to do if you want to go for a camping trip, who to respond to if you're offered a camping trip, who to call, which resources to share. And as we grieve, we have to be very critical in evaluating them without fear-mongering or escalating concerns and the level of alarm where it's beyond needed or where it's counterproductive. The first argument I want to name is against rage donating. Mm Again, as we're all inundated with information, we're also inundated with quick call to actions. PayPal in takes 30 seconds. Venmo takes 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. But we can just rage donate, throw some money at it, and consider it done. I did my part, moving on. Mm-hmm. Or I did my part, there's not much else I can do. Mm-hmm. So the argument is to donate to smaller groups, local state level activists over bigger names Um, so again look to support those that are 
closest to you mm-hmm. look to you your identities your neighborhood who is serving people that look like you yes support your communities in my case i like the big fish <laughs> i think the big fish do great things in my opinion donating to planned parenthood to the national black women's reproductive agenda to NARAL. They're not only fighting for abortion rights, but also access to birth control and paid family leave. National Abortion Federation, um, Center for Reproductive Rights, RAIN, IPAS, International Organization that strives to a world where every person has bodily autonomy and it can determine their own future. As a reminder, something that we haven't mentioned yet, um, the UN did declare forced pregnancies a violation of human rights. Mm-hmm. Um, so individual bodily autonomy is a human right. And for supporting these activists, um, there's a post on feminist on Instagram that's like, what activists who've lived under abortion bans want us to know? I'll read out the first one from Angie Contreras in Mexico. It's valid to be sad, but what you need to do with that sadness, that rage, is to use it as a catalyst to keep on resisting. We were sad for a while too, but then we organized. Or as Rostum de Parine and Ana Maria Nemenzo in the Philippines uh, put it, we really framed it as a public health issue. I think there's a need for healthcare professionals in the U.S. to band together and make their voices heard. For me, it touches on the idea of like not just rage donating and rage quitting and mm-hmm. letting the sadness feel overpowering for ourselves. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of comparisons between modern U.S. and the fictional Gilead from The Handmaiden's Tale. And there is a very valid counter-argument to that, that while Gilead is fictional, dystopian, but fictional, and it's centered very much, at least I stopped after the first season, I'm not going to lie, but it's centered on white women, women of higher socioeconomic status, straight women, realizing that this right has been taken away from us in a lot of situations, in centering that for a lot of people, even before Roe v. Wade was overturned, these rights were already taken away. Again, mentioning intersectionality, centering BIPOC voices, centering queer voices that don't see themselves represented or wanting to exist in a heteronormative father, mother, two kids, a sedan and a white picket fence house in the burbs narratives um, and centering that which has already been reality for many of us and not some dystopian fiction however much we may stand Margaret Atwood also on feminist by Sophie LaBelle this graphic um, that goes hello gender helpline I keep hearing that reproductive rights are LGBTQI rights Isn't this taking the spotlight away from the deeply misogynistic nature of attacks on reproductive rights 
I fail to see how these affect all LGBTQI people. And the response goes, the main thing you need to know is that queer, trans, and intersex rights that are enshrined in laws throughout the world often use the rights to privacy, body autonomy, and self-determination that came with reproductive rights as president. If abortion rights are struck down, these rights, so the right to privacy, body autonomy, and self-determination, also lose their ground. And every ruling that uses them, such as the American Marriage Equality ruling, could potentially be challenged or nullified. And reproductive rights reach far beyond the issues of abortion and concerns anyone with a body that authorities want to regulate. It has less to do with uteruses and more to do with control. And that's not even mentioning how clinics that provide abortions and who would lose their funding are very often the ones that also provide trans and gender affirming care. All the care for those communities. And that goes back to the 2016-2017 argument about defund Planned Parenthood as well. Mm -hmm. When there was a big ruckus with our representatives about how federal funds shouldn't go to funding abortive medical services. And they didn't. Because those services were funded through other sources of income for those organizations. But look at the websites, look at the information that's out there for the providers and look at all of the other services that are given that might be the only ones in some communities. The other argument, speaking of our elected and not elected representatives, um, again, hi, Justice Thomas, is for anyone who is eligible to vote register at the time of recording right now we just closed the elections in chicago for aldermans and local representatives each election counts each vote counts if you're eligible to vote federal elections are coming up in november vote <laughs> there's not much more to say there do your research and vote all of the voting on who voted to confirm the justices, who funded the people who voted to elect the justices, oh, sorry, to confirm the justices, all of that information is public. Is it easily accessible? Not always, but Do it is research. public. You have access to Google people. Do your research. If they are taking control over control over our bodies take some control back and choose where to spend your money talking about spending your money talking about spending your money this is something that i am personally still processing so worth mentioning worth thinking about the whole issue of bulk buying Plan B, abortive pills, contraceptives. Um, when the announcement broke out that 
the ruling had been made public, had been overturned on Friday, mm-hmm. something compelled me to go on Amazon and look. How much is Plan B right now? Because I bet you in 24 hours is going to be more. Mm-hmm. And today, plan- today, Amazon and other providers limited the amount of Plan B that you can buy in a single purchase. Mm-hmm. Because people were bulk buying them to try to protect themselves, to try to prep in instances where they might need them. Mm-hmm. Already, Plan B and similar services are not cheap. Mm-hmm. There's already a barrier to access there. Mm-hmm. My argument is always going to be that if we have the means now, socioeconomically, socially, we will continue to have them. Mm-hmm. So mixed feelings about bulk buying reminds me a little bit of the toilet paper wars, but with much more severe consequences. Absolutely. Closing with... We are grieving. This doesn't stop abortions. It stops safe abortions. It stops bodily autonomy. And it stops women's independence. What I ask of you is to take time to identify and name your feelings. And when you are ready, join the action back again. This fight is not over. Where we can how we can to also hold spaces for each other. Mm-hmm. If you're listening, you're not someone who can experience a pregnancy and so you're like, well, this is not my not my battle. Or if you, like me, think that theoretically your choice is already made or you already made up your mind, sit with finding the empathy to still hold space for each other and to defend the rights of your loved one. Um, A very strong remark that I saw is that each one of us knows someone who has at one point needed or chosen to terminate a pregnancy. The difference is whether that person feels safe to share that information with us. Mm -hmm. So even if you think you don't know anyone, you do. And this was a special edition of Bias Check-In. One that we are not necessarily happy to have had to share, but it is needed. Um, And we will resume our normal, more lighthearted topics. But this is part of holding ourselves accountable and calling our community, our listeners, to do the same. Thank you for checking in, and we'll see you on Monday.